Hello everyone and welcome back to UFOs and other paranormal stuff. I hope that you are all well and have enjoyed September. I myself have been enjoying the weather on a much needed holiday to Cambridgeshire. What a great week it was too. Beautiful weather. First of all I would like to thank Donna, Patricia, Kelly, Dave, Fred, Andy, Lee, Jeannie, Kate, Janet, Dave, David and Derek and everyone else who contributed to my last show, Ghosts of New Addington. Stories are still coming in about sightings around the area, so I may do a second episode of Ghosts Around New Addington in the future. Of course, I would really like to hear stories about any paranormal UFO-related experiences that you have had. Please do send them in to me at UFOs and other paranormal stuff at gmail.com that's UFOs and other paranormal stuff at gmail.com or PM me through the Facebook group of the same name too after listening to this podcast why not head over to YouTube and to a channel called 401 Files where Ben and his mates will take you on some paranormal adventures also why not have a look at the UFO alert in the UK Facebook group as well. There's lots of great UFO related stuff to see there. Now this episode is about a UFO incident that occurred in the United Kingdom way back in December 1980. It involved two RAF bases in Suffolk and the woodland that lies between them. The bases, the RAF bases, are called RAF Woodbridge and RAF Bentwaters. The woodland is of course the famous Rendlesham Forest. Rendlesham is a small village in Suffolk not too far from the city of Ipswich. Some have even suggested that Beowulf was composed in the 7th century at Rendlesham as Sutton Hoo's ship burial only a mile or two from Rendlesham shows close connections with Scandinavia. Rendlesham Forest itself is a great place to visit. It has a few nice trails of differing lengths and difficulties for you to walk. The most famous of which is, of course, the three plus mile long UFO trail. This trail, signposted with alien symbols and information boards, takes the walker into the forest and next to the disused RAF Woodbridge. Following in the footsteps of the servicemen in 1980 to the UFO itself deep in the forest. Okay, well, maybe not the actual UFO, but it is a faithful representation of the one seen 40 years ago by Sergeant Jim Penniston and John Burroughs. Despite being labelled RAF, both of these former air bases housed the United States Air Force during the Cold War. There had been alleged UFO sightings at both bases before, including a sighting which occurred in 1956 involving RAF Bentwaters and another nearby airbase, air RAF Lakenheath. That incident was even recorded in the original Project Blue Book. However, it is the Rendlesham Forest incident in 1980 that interests me the most. For those that don't know about the incident, here is what happened. Early in the morning on the 26th of December 
1980, a security patrol at the east gate of RAF Woodbridge saw lights coming down in the Rendlesham Forest. People at the airbase first thought that the lights were of a downed light aircraft. However, upon entering the forest to investigate, Sergeant Jim Penniston and John Burrows saw what they described as a glowing object, metallic in appearance, with coloured lights. As they approached, it appeared to move through the trees. Apparently, nearby animals panicked. Sergeant Penniston later claimed to have encountered a craft of unknown origin while in the forest. Penniston and Burroughs saw a craft come right down almost to the ground. They thought it may even have actually landed. Sergeant Jim Penniston got close enough to touch the craft. He said the skin of the craft was smooth to touch, almost like running your hand over glass, void of imperfections until I ran my fingers over the symbols. The symbols were like nothing like the rest of the craft. They were rough, like running my fingers over sandpaper. As Penniston touched the symbols, the white light on top of the craft flared up and became so intense that he was fear-struck and temporarily blinded by it. Penniston removed his hand from the UFO and as soon as he did so, the light dimmed and his feeling of panic receded. After some time, the craft lifted very slowly off of the ground, yet they both heard no noise. When it finally cleared the top of the trees, it accelerated away in the blink of an eye. Sergeant Penniston, always methodical and professional, wrote his observation in the police notebook thus. Speed, impossible. John Burroughs has few coherent memories of what happened after the explosion of light. He threw himself to the ground. He recalls seeing a red oval sun-like object in the clearing, but does not recall the craft. For Burroughs, the time from hitting the ground to seeing the UFO leaving seemed like just a few seconds. But for Jim Penniston, the whole event, including inspection, took many minutes. Even now, this is troubling for Jim Penniston. I entered the area immediately around the craft first, the sergeant said. John was over to my right, about ten feet away. The silence was most prominent. The whole area seemed dead. The air, no sound, no rustling of air or wind. No distant sounds, no animals, no nothing, just dead silence. A strong static on clothes and hair and skin being pulled towards the light, then dissipated. I was alone, and from John's perspective, he has no memory. John is standing still and not moving. I yelled at him, of course. No reaction at all. He does not move. He, of course, cannot hear me, and I then turned to focus on the craft and the matter of security for the air bases. It has always been the case that John has no memory of this, but when we were being debriefed and writing the statements in Colonel Holt's office less than 72 hours later, John, in his statement, was drawing the craft he saw with me. This has always made me wonder about John's memory. The two men left the clearing and rendezvoused with Edward Cabensag, Master Sergeant Chandler, and the other members of the security force before making their way back to RAF Bentwaters. 
the main operating base. When they arrived back, they found that they had been gone much longer than they realised. This, together with the fact that they had been out of radio contact, had caused near panic in parts of the base. A, si a search party was just about to go out to look for them. Jim Penniston told himself that it must have been adrenaline that made it feel like time had whizzed by. The trouble was he could not explain the fact that his and John Burroughs' watches were 45 minutes behind everyone else's. Shortly after 0400, local police were called to the scene but said that the only lights they could see were from the Orford Ness lighthouse on the nearby coast. Later that morning, the servicemen returned to a clearing near the edge of the forest and found small impressions on the ground near to where the object had come down. Those impressions were in triangular in formation, same as the UFO. Jim Penniston paced around the indentations, measuring the distance between the three marks. As well as the indentations, there was burn marks and broken branches from the nearby trees. Penniston and Burroughs say that these branches had been broken by the UFO when it came down to ground level. Everything was exactly as Penniston and Burroughs had recalled the night before. At 10.30am, the local police were called out again, this time to see the impressions on the ground. They thought it could have been made by an animal. However, another entry in the Suffolk Police log provides the first known documentary evidence showing that a landing had taken place. This log entry reads as follows. We have had a call from the LE, Law Enforcement, at RAF Bentwaters in reference to a UFO reported last night. We have found a place where a craft of some sort seems to have landed. Sergeant Jim Penniston was intrigued by these impressions but also worried that they would be dug over by someone who wanted to cover up the incident. So he went back to the site on his own the next day, taking some plaster of Paris that he'd gotten from a friend Penniston made cast of all three impressions, placed them into his bag and took them home. Also that morning, Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt of RAF Bentwaters became aware that something had happened during the night. Upon being told of the situation uh, by Sergeant McCabe, a law enforcement officer with the USAF, who was at that moment writing up the law enforcement blotter. A blotter is a log on which anything significant uh, that happened on shift was recorded. The purpose of the blotters was twofold. One, a useful part of the handover process to the next shift. Two, they provided a source of raw, invaluable information if questions were raised later on. Colonel Holt ordered McCabe to put everything in the blotter. It later turned out that accounts of what had happened were written up not just in law enforcement blotters, but in the security blotters and also a Form 1569, Incident and Complaint Report, was completed by the security controllers at Security Central, sorry, Central Security 2. 
The incident was also reported to the British government via the Ministry of Defence. Colonel Holt became aware that the encounter Penniston and Burroughs had had was a lot more than just lights in the sky, UFO sighting. He moved quickly to review not just the law enforcement blotter that he'd ordered McCabe to write up, but also the security blotter, which was likely to have the best and most accurate account of what had actually taken place. Problem was, both blotters and the incident report had disappeared, with no one on duty able to explain how. Staff Sergeant Coffey says, My blotter had been pulled and classified secret by the base commander, Colonel Ted Conrad. Sergeant Jim Penniston believes this to be part of a containment process. I Personally, I find it strange that Holt wouldn't have known that. Also, John Burroughs goes on to say that, along with all the other missing documents, shows that this incident was classified early on. Also, there is no way that they just disappeared. My guess is that they were sent to Germany, HQ USAF Europe, and that the State Department got a copy too, said Burroughs. Those blotters and reports have never been found. This was only day one, and already we have a big UFO encounter and a potential cover-up. Strong evidence of a conspiracy. Procedures were being ignored, and evidence was being removed from under the noses of people for whom security was a way of life, especially during the Cold War. The second sighting. On the 28th of December... Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt went to the site of the first sighting with some more servicemen in the early hours. They took radiation readings in the Triangle of Depressions and in the surrounding area using an AN-PDR-27, a standard US military radiation survey meter, again remembering this was during the Cold War. The readings in the triangle reached 0.07 milliroentgens. I hope I said that right. Whilst outside of it, the readings were only 0.03. They detected a similar burst over half a mile away from that landing site. Holt recorded the events using a microcassette recorder. A copy of that tape was sent to the UFO researchers by Colonel Sam Morgan who, strangely, had quickly succeeded Ted Conrad as Holt's superior. That recording has gone down in UFO history as it recorded Colonel Charles Holt's dramatic commentary of another UFO sighting. It was during this investigation that a flashing light was seen across the field to the east, almost in line with the farmhouse, as the witnesses had seen on the first night. According to Holt's memo, three star-like lights were seen in the sky, two to the north and one to the south, a little above the horizon. Holt said that the brightest of these hovered for two to three hours and seemed to beam down a stream of light from time to time. This sighting was also witnessed by local farmers, public as well as members of the local police force too. Ladies and gentlemen, 
What you will hear next is Colonel Charles Holt's recording. Please be warned that the sound is not great and there may be some interference. Looks like someone came off about 15 to 20 feet up. Some small branches about an inch or less in diameter. Zero 148, we're hearing very strange sounds out of the farmer's barnyard animals. It's very, very active, making an awful lot of noise. It was in a pigmentation. You just saw a light where? Right on this position here, straight ahead, in between the switch. There it is again. Watch, straight ahead off my flashlight there. Yeah, sir. There it is. Hey, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So, yeah, can I get some Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. You'll see on uh, maybe a quarter to a half mile, maybe further out. I'm going to switch off. The light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from yeah, the site. Yeah. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, that's the flashlight set. Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so I can get a better look at it. See if you can get the star scope on it. The light's still there, and all the barnyard animals have gotten quiet now. Yeah, we're heading about 110 to 120 degrees from the site. I'm through to the clearing now. Still getting a reading on the meter. About two clicks. Maybe count three to four clicks, getting stronger. Now it's, uh, now it's coming up. Hold up. There we go. At about approximately four foot off the ground. It's a of 110 degrees. Alright, just turn the meter off. Gotta say that again. About four feet off the ground, about 110 degrees, getting a reading of about four clicks. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, it... Excuse me. Now it's dying. Now it's dying. I think it's something other than the ground. I think it's something that's something it's valuable. It's a tree right over. We just felt the first night bird we've seen. We're about 150 or 200 yards from the site. Everything else is just deathly calm. There is no doubt about it. There's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. There's yellow. I saw a yellow tinge in it, too. Weird. It, it, it appears to be maybe moving a little bit this way. Yes, it's brighter than it has been. Yellow. It's coming this way. Also it is definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. Yeah, there is no doubt about it. This is weird. To the left. Yeah, definitely moving off. Two, two lights. One light to the front okay. one light to the left. Keep the flashlights off. There's something very, very strange. Get the headset on. See if it gets any stronger. Okay. Give us, give us a rundown. The that this is on a beta reading, too. It's on a beta reading? Beta okay. still has been removed. Okay. This is what's going off it again. But it just moved to the right. Yeah. Off to the right. Strange. Oh, well, what do you want to do left? Let's approach to the edge of the woods up there. Can you want to do it without lights? Let's do it carefully. Come on. Okay, we're looking at the thing. We're probably about two to 300 yards away. It looks like an eye winking at you. It's still moving from side to side. And when you put the star scope on it,
just the, the uh, rather sporadic, but there's definitely something there, some kind of phenomenal. 305, at about uh, 10 degrees horizon, uh, directly north, we've got two strange objects, uh, half moon shape, dancing about with colored lights on them. But uh, I guess to be about 5 to 10 miles out, maybe less. The half moons now turned into full circles. As though there was a eclipse or something there for a minute or two. Zero three fifteen. Now we've got an object about ten degrees directly south, ten degrees off the horizon. And the ones in the north are moving. One's moving away from us. Moving out fast. Yeah, we're both heading north. Oh, here, here he comes from the south. He's coming toward us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you think about that? That was the original tape recorded by Colonel Charles Holt at the second sighting in Rendlesham Forest. Since then, no more sightings were reported in Rendlesham Forest, at least none by the forces personnel or the police. Having said that, it has been said that, as with the first sighting, security forms and blotters, etc., pertaining to the second sighting, had again gone missing. There have, however, been a few people lining up to debunk sightings in Redlesham Forest. Some UFO sightings are easy to debunk, but it isn't that easy when the key witnesses are United States military personnel, as well as locals and police force, for that matter. The BBC reported that a United States security policeman, Kevin Conder, claimed responsibility for the strange lights in the forest by driving around in a police vehicle with modified lights. However, there is no evidence that this prank ever took place. <clears throat> I personally don't think that the military would be fooled by that anyway. Many others have claimed that the lights reported by Colonel Charles Holt on the 28th of December were that of the Orford Ness Lighthouse a few miles away. Again, Personally, I don't believe for one second that the United States Air Force personnel could not know the lights of the lighthouse that has been there for nearly 200 years before the UFO sighting. Surely, they would know the difference between a lighthouse light and basically anything else, wouldn't they? Even the very respectable Jenny Randalls former director of investigations with the British UFO Research Association, Bufora, who first reported the case in the London Evening Standard in 1981 and co-authored the first book on the case in 1984, is now saying that while some puzzles still remain, we can probably say that no unearthly craft was seen in Rendlesham Forest. Apparently, evidence of a big file on the case has led to claims of a massive cover-up by the MOD. Personally, I don't think 
that this incident can be debunked that easily, if at all. When the Ministry of Defence and the United States Department of Defence come out and say things like they don't investigate these kind of things instead of keeping quiet about them, that makes me think that they are trying to deflect attention away from it because they have investigated and they do not want us to know their findings. This is heightened when, in the past few weeks, the Pentagon in the United States seems to have changed its position on UFOs with the release of documents and videos pertaining to the USS Nimitz carrier strike group and not one but three incidents involving UFOs in 2004. You may in fact have heard of them, the Gimbal UFO, the Go Fast UFO and the FLIR UFO. I believe the Tic Tac UFO is one of those. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to know what you think. Do you believe that Rendlesham Forest incident actually involved unearthly craft, UFOs, or do you believe that it was just a hoax made up? Once again, please keep your paranormal stories coming in by sending them to UFOs and other paranormal stuff at gmail.com. Visit the website UFOs and other paranormal stuff com, and definitely visit the Facebook group too of the same name, UFOs and other paranormal stuff. Have a great week everyone and I will talk to you soon. Thank you very much for listening. See you later.